We've been studying faith, and we're going to continue in our study of faith, because the Bible says we're saved by faith. That word saved does not just mean that you get out of hell and go into heaven. It means that you're, all that God has for you is received by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, if you receive the Spirit by faith, how do you think that you're going to continue to grow by the works of your flesh? But it's by faith. We grow by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible, impossible to please God. Therefore, it's incumbent on us. In fact, we're going to see again tonight, you can't receive things from God except by faith. Now, God will sometimes do supernatural things, but the basic method that God has of providing for us is by faith. Everything that God has for us, that He's already provided for us, we receive by faith. But the problem I've discovered in my life, as well as as I minister to many people and, and see the issues in their life and how they're taking God's Word and applying it, is that I think in many cases we've tried to operate in faith and in many cases we've failed in our eyes. And so we tend to get discouraged. And we do one of two things when it doesn't seem to be working. Either we draw the conclusion we can't trust God's Word and we put it down and we quit, but you wouldn't be here if you'd done that. The other thing which is more likely that we do is we create two worlds in our mind. There's church where we jump and shout and believe God's Word and get excited about God's Word. And then there's the real life where we deal with things the way everybody else deals with things. And we get comfortable with living in that dichotomy in those two worlds. And that's exactly where Satan wants us. He loves to have you come to church, rejoice, get happy, have a good time here, as long as we're not out there affecting him and advancing God's kingdom. We see, and we studied this on some Sundays at the end of last year, we were talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we saw how the Apostle Paul said, I did not come to you with words of man's clever understanding, but I came to you in power. The gospel is the power of God, Romans 1.16 says, unto salvation. He didn't say it's the doctrine of God. He didn't say if it's the concept of God or the instructions of God. He said the gospel is the power of God. One of the things that Paul says in these last days to be careful of, he said there will be people in the church that will have a form of godliness but without its power. God is a powerful God. God is an awesome God. I grew up in a generation, well, I didn't grow up, grow up in it, but I grew into adulthood in a generation where we lived with a nation on the other side of the world that had formed something called the Iron Curtain. And the idea that that Iron Curtain could just come down overnight was inconceivable to us. But it did. And it did it because there were saints behind the Iron Curtain and saints on this side of the Iron Curtain praying. And as is the right time that God moved and He brought situations around and that curtain came down. I mean, watching it overnight. It was in 1989. Then breaking down the Berlin Wall in front of us. God is a powerful God and His Word is a powerful Word. Then how come it's not powerful in my life? We need to ask ourselves those questions because otherwise we're living in those two worlds. I've begun to ask myself that question, and I wasn't thrilled by all that I saw. So that's got me back into the Word, studying faith again, and meditating on faith again, and listening to what other people have to say about faith again. And it's opened my eyes to some things I'd known and forgotten about, and it's begun to open my eyes to some things that I, to look at it from a different point of view. So we've talked a little bit about it. In Hebrews, you got to, have you found Hebrews 11 yet? Yes, sir. Verse 1 says, 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we've spent a bit of time talking about what faith is, but what we really haven't talked very much about is what it isn't. Because all of us have some idea of what it is. So last week I began to talk about what it isn't. And one of the things we've discovered that it isn't is faith is not hope. There are two different things. And we often confuse them. And here's where frustration happens. Because we think we're in faith. And if we're not in faith, the way the Bible talks about faith, then what God says will happen when we're in faith will not happen. But if we think we're in faith, then we draw the conclusion it didn't work for me. When in reality, in many cases, now there's some other reasons why it doesn't work, but one of the main reasons is, I think I'm in faith, but in reality I'm not. Now there's no condemnation. It's like if you have an appointment tomorrow, you have a job interview, and you go downtown, and you, you know, you've gotten, you've looked at your Google map or whatever it is, your map quest, and you've walked it out, and you go in the building, and you go up to the 12th floor where the appointment is, and you walk, and they've never heard of the place, heard of the office that you're interviewing with, and you dawned on you, I'm in the wrong building. Well, you don't condemn yourself. You get out of that building, and you go find out what the right building is to get into the right building, because that's where you need to be for the interview. Well, the same is true about faith. If you're not in faith, you need to discover you're not in faith. Find out what faith is so you can get in faith. God's not angry at us. It's just that we cannot... It's like we almost have this image. If I do the right things, God, if I get in faith, say the right things, and I do it just right, then will you give it to me? And that's the image we have. That... Faith, because that's how the world works, is if we do, tell me what I got to do to get what I need. And then when we do it, we expect to get what they said we were going to get. And we bring that mentality over to God, and that's not what God's like at all. Because the Bible teaches us in terms of the basic things that God's done for us, in terms of salvation, healing, all of the blessings of God, He has already paid for them. And he has already delivered them. Then how come I don't have them? Because there's a side to that that I need to do in order to receive. If I want a drink of water, I go over to the faucet spigot or whatever you call it, wherever you're from. Where I grew up was spigot. Here it's faucet, right? You go over there and you, and you turn it on. And if you just stand there with a glass in your hand and the water's pouring out of the faucet, you won't get anything to drink. Why? The water's pouring out, but you've got to put it under the... I'll give you a better example. Get up in the morning, go out, take the filter out, put it in the basket, put the coffee in the filter, put the top one, close the thing, put the water in the thing, you know, and I push the button and nothing happens. I push it again and nothing ha- And I pull the manual out. I read the manual. It says you put a filter in. I did that. You put the coffee in. I put the coffee in. You put the water in. I put the water in. You push the button. I push the button in. It's not working. How come it's... What is it? I didn't think of that. I didn't plug it in. Now, when I plug it in, do I now have to call up the electric company 
and say, I've now plugged in my coffee maker. Would you please turn on the power at my house in the kitchen on the third plug to the right so that my coffee... No, the power was always there. As long as I paid my bill, that power's in there and it will only work when I plug it in. So if I'm standing there getting upset at the electric company because my coffee maker is not working right, and I call them, they're going to say, have you plugged it in? Because we all know it won't work if you're... And it's the same way with faith. Faith is what allows you to receive from God something he's already given. So I'm not earning the electricity by plugging the coffee maker in. I'm putting it in a position to receive the benefit of what's generated at whatever they call the company now. (laughs) National Grid, I guess, is the name now. Wherever was the source of that power, and they buy it from each other, wherever that source of that power is, that's where it originated from. But it was always the, already their will that it flowed through my plug. That's why it's there. But I determine whether it's going to work for me by whether I connect to what they've already made available. So I'm not earning the electricity. I'm putting myself in a position to receive the benefit of it. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite scriptures, says, For if he spared not, in other words, held back, not, his own son, but he delivered him up for us all, how will he not, together with him, also freely give us all things? In other words, the Bible tells us that if, we, if he didn't hold back the most precious, valuable thing he had from us, his son, why would we think he's holding anything else back? When he gave us his best, his most valuable, he told us his attitude was, along with, because it literally means along with him, he's given us everything else he has. So when we cry and complain and moan, oh God, why, why, why? He's up there saying, I, there's nothing else to give you. I've given it to you already. You've not positioned yourself to receive it. Because we've got our eyes on him to get him to do something when we're not in a place to receive it. So what happens then when, when our coffee maker doesn't seem to be working... We go looking around at everything else except whether we plugged it in or not. So we need to look at ourselves and am I real? In fact, Paul once told us, says, examine yourself to see if you really are in faith. There's a suggestion that he did this periodically. But in order to do that, you've got to know what faith is. Or what are you measuring what you're doing against if you don't know, if you don't know what faith is. So we began last week to talk about what it isn't. And we discovered it's not hope. Because otherwise you wouldn't, need to, you wouldn't need to add substance to it. It'd be the same thing as faith. But if faith adds something to hope, then faith is not the same as hope. Okay, that's what we established last week. Then we went on to talk about what hope is, because when we know what hope is, we know what faith isn't yet. And we saw that hope is always in the future. 
It means a confident, steadfast, certain expectation that something I want or need is going to happen. Going implies it's not yet, but it will. So when someone asks you a question, are you, do you believe that God is going, is, do you believe that God has healed you? Yes, I believe God is going to heal me. That's wonderful, but that's hope. Because going to means someday it's going to happen. We need hope. We talked about the fact last week, hope is like the thermostat on your furnace. The thermostat is not the furnace. The thermostat has no power in and of itself. It simply sets your expectation. But it gives a signal to the furnace which has the power to raise the heat. To tell it when you've reached, it's reached the desired temperature. So we have to have hope. In fact, that's one of the things Paul says is so important. Faith, hope, and love. And of course he says the greatest of these are love. But we need faith and hope. So without hope you quit. Without hope, you lay down and accept things the way they are. You hear the story sometimes about somebody who's been given a bad report in the hospital, and you know the doctor, you come in, and the family says, now don't talk faith to him. We don't want to get his hopes up. That's exactly what they need, is to get their hopes up. All right, so faith is not hope. It's something different. Let me show you another thing faith is not that can be very subtle. Turn with me to Mark 11, verses we've already looked at also. Twenty-two through twenty-four. Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God." For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Now, a number of weeks ago we talked about whoever. Whoever again communicates this idea that it's up to us. Because whoever means God's not saying, I've chosen who gets this and who doesn't. Whoever means I've chosen, it's available to all of you. You choose whether you receive it or not. I'll give you some examples about it. I just feel the Holy Spirit's still back on this mentality. Because one of the reasons people believe they don't get healing was, I don't know if it's God's will. I believe it's God's will to heal, but I don't know if it's God's will to heal me. Well, there are several scriptures that prove that. One, of course, is in Mark 5 when Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And on the way, there's a woman who comes up behind him. And in Matthew's version, it says she's on the ground and she touches the hem of his garment. And when she touches his garment... virtue, power, flowed out of him, and she was healed on the spot. Now, here's the order. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Well, She crawls on the ground as he's passing by. Many other people have been touching him. She reaches out and touches the bottom of his garment, and she feels power going into her, and she's the blood issue that she's had for 12 years now dries up. It then goes on to say, Jesus felt that power go out of him. So she said what would happen. She acted on what she said. He felt the power go out, and she's healed. 
Then Jesus turns around and asks a question. Who touched me? Now, if it was only God's will to heal some and not everybody, then Jesus would have needed to know whether this woman was on the A list or the B list. He'd need to know whether she's on the yes or no list in order to decide whether to release the power to heal her. But the order of the events is crucial because what happens is by the time when he turns around, she's already healed and he wants to know who it is that already received the healing. So she received the healing before he knew her identity. There's another example. It's in Matthew. I think it's in chapter 9 or 10 where it says the word came to people that he was in the community. And so a crowd gathered around and they said, if we just touch his garments, they said. By the way, what he said to the woman, he says, your faith made you whole. It was your faith, not my decision, your faith that made you whole. In Matthew's account, there were a group of people that were sick and they said, if we just touch his garment, we'll be made whole. And then the verse, the last verse of that chapter, I think it says, and as many as touched him were made whole. Not as many as touched him that were in the yes list. So in that crowd, who determined who was healed? Jesus? Well, yes, in one sense, by being there. But he was there, available for all of them. But who determined whether they were one of the ones that got healed? They did. By whether they acted on what they believed. And that's what we'll talk about next time, because faith acts. It's not faith until you act. Because until you act, it's only belief. There's a difference between belief and faith. And we'll talk about that next time. But I want to show you something else. Mark eleven twenty three two 2 says, Have faith in God. We've talked about that. 23 says, Therefore, assuredly, or verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall say. So it's up to you whether you're a whosoever or not. It's your choice. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou taken up and cast in the sea. And here's what I want you to say. And shall not doubt in his And shall not doubt in his And shall not doubt in his Not his head. His heart. And shall not doubt in his heart, he shall have whatsoever he said. So here's the key. You have to believe something, say it, and not doubt in your heart. You can believe something with your head that you don't believe with your heart, and you can believe something with your heart you don't believe with your head. There are two different parts of you 
that each of one is capable of believing. And here's the point. Well, let's go with me to James chapter 1. No, excuse me. Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 10. So faith is not hope. Hope is good. Oh, this is good. Let's just back up here. Well, let's go, um, he's talking about Israel here. Let's start chart in verse 3. But they, Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness, or the method by which God makes us righteous, seeking to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law, they've not submitted to the righteousness of God. The one that comes by faith is what he's talking about. For Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone, to everyone who believes. So it's available to all, but it's to him who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of law, that the man who does those things must live by them. But the righteousness which comes by faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that's to bring Christ down from heaven, or who will descend into the abyss, that's to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, is there anything we have to do to go get him? So righteousness that's under the, under the New Testament does not say, what do we have to do to go bring Christ here or salvation here? What do I have to do to bring this salvation to me? But here's what it does say. Here's how it does talk. Here's how it does think. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach. That if you believe with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your head that Christ God raised him from the dead, you're not reading, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at this. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you were saved when you heard. Because if we want to talk about, well, how can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they preach or declare unless they're sent? So what he's saying is the faith by which you, which was in your heart by which you saved, the believing that your heart came because you heard the word. Ephesians 1.13 says the same thing. It says, because you heard the word of truth and believed, Therefore, therefore, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you heard the word and you believed it with your heart, not your head. You were saved. And here's the point. Here's the distinction. You can believe things with your head that you don't yet believe with your heart. And that is called mental assent. 
So you hear the word of God, and you hear a truth, and you look at that truth and you say, what he's saying makes sense. It's reasonable, it's logical, I can see the scriptures, I agree that that's what the scriptures say, and I agree that that's the truth. That's not believing with your heart. That's agreeing with your mind that that's what the word teaches. And that's not faith. We're going to see next time that there's evidence of our faith. There are indications that we're in faith. I'll give you a little preview. The Bible tells us faith rests. When we're at rest, we're not figuring out how the answer is going to come. So here's a little symptom. If you're figuring out how the answer is going to come, you're not in faith yet. You're in hope. You're on your way, so don't quit. But you're not there yet. So don't get upset if you're not seeing results yet because you're not yet plugged in to the outlet. You're getting close. You may even be seeing some sparks flying back and forth. And you may already be smelling the coffee in your own imagination. That's hope. <laughs> Faith acts. So there are indications when you plug in, when you're at that place where you're in faith, there's some ways to know you're there. And once you've ever experienced it, you can tell when you're not. So that means if I'm not, most likely I'm still hoping, and I may still be agreeing with the Scriptures. See, until I get to that place where I've crossed over into faith, I'm agreeing with what the Word says. Now, sometimes we argue with it. When I was first saved and began to find certain scriptures of healing and things like that, I heard teachings and my mind just froze up on it. In fact, when I got saved, I didn't understand what salvation was. So I couldn't have done it with my mind. It has something that happened in my heart. See, there are people out there that are saved in their mind because they know what the Word says. And they say, well, the Bible says if you say this prayer, then you're saved. So I said the prayer, so I'm saved. The Bible has a whole lot more to say than just saying a prayer. And so they say, well, I know what the Scripture says, so I've done that. But it's not something in the heart. It's not a commitment of the heart. It's not a believing of the heart. So you can read the Word, you can understand the principles, you can read Scriptures, you can listen to tapes, and you can still be agreeing in your mind that that's true, that's what the Bible says. But faith is when you embrace it for yourself. It's when you say, I see it, and it's mine. I've now pulled it to myself, and I want it for me. A good example, I mean, I was a little boy in church most of, you know, not most of my life, but every Sunday. I started out in one denomination. My mother remarried, got into another denomination. I knew Bible stories. I knew verses. I had to memorize things like that. You know, and I knew John 3.16, I knew for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. For God, I believe God so loved the world, and I believe that's part of the world. But that night, that February night in my living room, about 12 or 30 in the morning, it became real to me, for God so loved John. 
And I opened my heart to him. And I asked him in my heart, not in the understanding of my mind. Another example of what I mean. And I won't ask for a show of hands if you've ever done this, because <laughs> I've done it. You're sitting in a service or a teaching session somewhere, and somebody says, Start, well, we're going to talk about this, and your mind says, I've heard that. And you just close the door, because I've heard that before. That's always a sign to me I've not heard it, if it's God's Word. Because God's Word is life. It's always alive. I'll never, I'll ne- you know, I, I, I remember watching for years, Billy Graham crusades and seeing people come forward. Years after I was saved, and tears would flow down my cheeks as I'd see people walk down the aisle from a crusade. Why? Because what they were going through touched my heart and reminded me of the conversion that I had. That wasn't something in my head. See, when I hear say I've heard it, then what that means is I've got it in my head. But when I, my wife never tired, I've never heard her say, look, don't tell me you love me anymore. I'm tired of it. I heard that before. I've heard it. Come on. I've heard it. We married almost 43 years. I can't tell you the number of times you've told me you love me. Just, you know, I don't need to hear that anymore. I know it. Now, men, I know that's what we're like sometimes because we deal in facts. They deal in issues of the heart. She wants to hear it over and over again because every time she hears it, it warms and, and revitalizes the love in her heart. It's an issue of the heart. So you have to learn to discern the difference between your heart and your head is about it's the crucial 18 inches. And you'll go along and I've gone along, and this is one of the things why you'll you need to take scriptures and, and, and say them over and over and over again. Renew your mind by just meditating them. Say it over and over and over and over and over again. Over and over for God so loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And it's just like nothing. It's like boring, da 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 da. But what you're doing, I heard Pastor Ray talking about this one years ago. He says, You know how they break a rock? They keep hammering at it and hammering at it hammering at it and hammering and it looks like you're getting nowhere and you hammer and you hammer but you don't realize every time you hit that rock you're breaking down the molecular structure slowly but surely and one of those times you hit it even though the time before you hit it you didn't see anything different hear anything different but it is the next time you whack that thing it's going to fall apart the same is true with speaking the word of God to yourself Speak it and 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 it's going to sound like nothing. It's boring. You don't even hear it. Just keep speaking and speaking because there's one person that always hears everything you say and it's you. A number of years ago, and I've shared some of this story with you before, I had a condition that I would get, that wasn't all the time, but it was just I'd break out in hives, not these little things. I mean, my feet would just suddenly swell up and I couldn't walk on them. And I've had it happen in court. And when it happens, I can't walk. I mean, I've just really suddenly, the bottom of my foot, instead of doing this way, was this way. And it was terrible itching. And it was, it was, it was you know, and it was just coming out of nowhere, seemingly. And the doctors didn't know what to do with it. They gave me some pills, that would, but they would knock me out. The pill would just basically, you know, they'd stop it, but it would knock me out. And I dealt with this for on and off for 10 years. It would go away for a period of time, come back for a period of time. And we were out at Bible school, and here I was in a faith school. I've been there for six months. I'm hearing faith from the faith teacher himself, Kenneth Hagin. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got the victory, and this thing's broke out one more time. And I was so discouraged. Finally, I decided to do what he was teaching. 
Interesting. See, I've been going to school. I've been listening. I've been saying that's the truth. I agree with everything you're saying, but I wasn't doing what he said to do. So I grabbed my Bible, and I went through some scriptures for myself. And that's when I hit Romans 8, 32. And I just started meditating on it. I literally, every moment, a waking moment I had, that I did not have to be doing something else, I walked my mind through Romans 8.32. I would go through it one word at a time. I'd go through it one syllable at a time. I'd go through it forwards, backwards, over and over. Felt nothing. About a week later, one of these things broke out. I felt nothing. And I saw that thing. I could feel the beginning signs of it. And I looked at it, and I started to speak God's word to it, and it exploded out of me with a power I'd never felt before. It shocked me. It's like I jumped back and said, where did that come from? What had happened is by meditating on that one verse for one week, it had dropped. The reality that God was holding nothing back from me dropped 18 inches And when I spoke to it, it came out of my heart, stopped instantly, and never came back again. Now, I thought I was in faith before because I agreed, and I would say the word, and I agreed with the word, but most of that was coming out of my mind. And I was getting frustrated because I was doing what, now listen, I was doing what they said to do. That's verse 11, 22 says what? Have faith in God, not Kenneth Hagin or Kenneth Copeland or what they said to do. It's to get into the word for yourself. Take God's promise and you've got to put it in you until it becomes a part of you so that when you have occasion to use that word, it comes out of you with a power that's not coming out of your mind It's coming out of your spirit and your heart. And do not doubt in your heart. You can have all kinds of doubts in your head. It's not letting the doubt into your heart. James chapter 1, James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. Again, he's not holding anything back. And he won't reproach you or laugh at you for asking for your wisdom. But he said, here's the condition. You must ask in faith. Why? Because you can't receive without faith. Faith is what allows you to receive. You must ask in faith, nothing doubting. For the one who doubts is like, the man, is like a, double, is a wind driven under the sea. A double-minded man can receive is unstable in all his ways and can receive nothing, can receive nothing, can receive nothing. Not that God's not giving it, can receive nothing. It's like I'm putting the plug everywhere else. I don't know if I'm plugging it in or not. I don't know if I want to plug it in or not. Uh, No, I don't know if I do. I can't receive the electricity until I take a definite act that I don't doubt about and the evidence I don't doubt as I plug it in. So if we don't understand the difference between mental assent, mental assent means I agree with something. 
And that's what's so disarming about it, is I don't argue with it. I believe it's true. I believe it's true. You can believe something's true and not be in faith. You can believe something's true and not be in faith. Because to be in faith means not only is it true, it's true for me, and I receive it now. Because the next verse in Mark 11 says, Therefore I say unto you, because of that's how you've got to receive it, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you've already received it. When do you believe you've received it? When you prayed. Now. Because faith is now. It's mine now. I don't have the physical evidence that it's mine now. I have the substitute for that evidence, which is my faith. I know it's mine now, even though my senses don't confirm that. It's more real to me that it's mine now because I'm in faith than that my senses tell me. Because your senses can fool you. So faith is not hope. Hope is important, but hope is future, and you need the hope. But hope without faith won't receive it. It continues to be hope. It's like if Bill and I said, you know, let's, let's have lunchtime. He says, when shall we have it? And I'll say, well, well, someday. And Bill goes to his calendar. I can't find someday on there. I find July 1st. I find July 2nd. I find July 15th, but I don't find someday. Someday is in the future, but there's nothing definite. There's no commitment to someday. But yes, we'll have lunch tomorrow at noon. That's a definite appointment. That's established now. So you can agree with something the Bible says. You can believe something the Bible says. And that's good. But that's not yet faith. Faith is when it's yours personally now, as if you actually had it in your senses. So you need to know the difference, because if you think you're in faith and you're still only in mental ascent, you'll quit doing the things it takes to grow your faith until you come up to that place, and then you'll wonder why it didn't work, because the plug's not connected yet. It's near it. You believe in that socket that it's got power in it, but it's not until you go and connect it that the power begins to flow from the power company to cook your, make, brew your coffee or, or heat your toast. Does that make sense to you? Yes. All right, well, next time we're going to look at one other thing about it, and then we're going to go in, into how you receive it.